Good morning. Happy New Year. Uh, this is going uh, to feel a little bit different. It's going to feel uh, a little more like a podcast, I, I guess, than a, than a sermon. Uh, as Scott and I are kind of team teaching uh, together today. And this really started uh, several years ago. A, a lot of people don't know. I mean, Scott and I have worked here together at the church for 15 years, but we've actually known each other far longer than that. I mean, it's 20 plus years we've known each other, are really good friends. So we're comfortable with each other. Um, we're I've been told a number of times for men, we're both very verbose. <laughs> uh, and we are opinionated. So uh, I, I was comparing our notes <laughs> earlier, and I, I have a lot longer notes, which yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah, because yes. when I'm up here, I can't right. stop talking. Yeah, I, my sermons are 30 right. years old. I even interrupt you in your introduction. 42-ish, yeah, yeah. But, um, and so, so we had a young guy kind of hanging around the office several years ago, and he had said, he was just in observing the office and the conversation. I said, you guys ought to do a podcast. Uh, and so we did one for a couple of years, right? Yeah, that was like we, 20 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, uh, we did one and uh, just stopped doing it like three years ago. And so the last couple of years, we've decided to do this to kind of uh, scratch that itch. And it's a good way to, to bring in the new year to just kind of reflect together a little bit on what we learned uh, the previous year, because uh, there's been a lot to learn. Uh, and, and that's an, an intriguing concept to me to just talk through what we're learning. And I don't think you can really cover uh, 2021 uh, without at least hitting on our sabbaticals. Um, we uh, each had a sabbatical this year. Mine was supposed to be the year before. Yeah, how uh, come you didn't go in 2020? Yeah, it, was, it would have been super relaxing yeah. in 2020. <laughs> so, um, and so we, uh, we delayed mine and that, that put Scott and I in the, the same year. Uh, and so we both had sabbaticals. And just when I kind of think about mine, uh, there were a couple kind of key things that happened uh, during my sabbatical. Uh, one is it was really great. Our family was able to get away uh, for a little bit and just play, uh, which was really important for us for whatever reason, just that time away. Uh, we went to the Pacific Northwest, um, Oregon, Seattle, uh, and Cheryl, one of Cheryl and I's favorite uh, spots in the, in the world, Friday, Friday Harbor, uh, which is up near Seattle, and uh, just uh, had a two-week vacation over there and uh, a lot of time to decompress, a lot of time to have fun. Um, it also provided me, uh, one of the biggest things that provided me was um, 2020 was a really rough year uh, in terms of the pandemic. Obviously, it was rough for everybody. November of that year, my dad passed away. Uh, he had been up in a nursing home up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And I had come, I, I had kind of gone through that and I knew I had a sabbatical. And so I came uh, back to Northwest right away and I really, that sabbatical was really important for me uh, to be able to process some of that and pray through some of that. And it was a really, really, I can't underscore it enough or emphasize it enough that uh, it was a really healing time for me to, to go through that sabbatical and, and, and process that. And then it also uh, provided me time uh, for some extensive study. Last sabbatical, I studied Revelation and then we did that series uh, later that year. Uh, this year, I studied Leviticus. And uh, lucky you, um, we're going to get to do a sermon series on that. <laughs> so uh, we're going to do a Levitical study uh, closer to this summer. Stop giving him sabbatical. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. Don't cheer. I know you're looking forward to it. So yeah, right. Uh, and so we'll be doing a Levitical study. And it really was, that was a meaningful study for me as well. So yeah, so my 2021 started by uh, me moving into the basement because I had COVID. 
Um, January 5th, I got COVID, I tested positive for, for COVID. And so I tried to save the rest of my family by uh, hiding in the basement. But two days later, when everybody else in my house tested positive, I just moved back upstairs again. Um, <laughs> we'll just so, go yeah, yeah, so yeah, right, exactly. So, so our January was just kind of, you know, locked down in our house uh, a year ago here now. And uh, man, it was stressful. 2021 was a stressful year. And, and, you know, I would echo the same thing that the sabbatical was so needed um, for, for me and, and for my family too. I think, you know, when the way we do sabbatical, I think our family kind of benefits. Um, my family took a three week long vacation out West. So, um, we drove, I mean, I talked about it in a sermon earlier this year, we drove almost 7,000 miles together and, uh, just spent a lot, you know, we, we just moved from being locked down in our house to being locked down in our van, but and you, and you still love each other. Yeah, we do. So, I yeah, mean, yeah, most yeah. of the time <laughs> we do. So, um, but yeah, it was so hard because uh, like being a parent during a pandemic is, is so stressful. N- nothing prepared me for that. Um, and, you know, three of the four kids in my house are very extroverted and social. And so telling them that they can't go to school in person and be around their friends um, was, was really, really hard. Um, it was really hard for a whole family. Um, well, for like everybody in our family except my he was like in heaven that he didn't, he could do all this school on his iPad, but um, it was just super hard. And, 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 and also the judgment that I felt, I think from other, uh, other people about exposing my kids to all the potential dangers. Like when we left the house, um, I don't know if it was real or just in my head, but it felt like every decision that was, had to be made in 2021 was like so heavy and weighty and meaningful. And it just really, burns you out. And so the sabbatical was really important. I spent my time, uh, visited a couple different churches in person, visited a couple online, kind of did a mix uh, of that. Uh, I, I mentioned our long vacation out West, but in addition to getting some rest, I wanted to, I wanted to study as well. And uh, my, my studying this time was more about uh, reading about the future of youth ministry. Um, so, so many young people are leaving the church after high school, uh, and that trend is only increasing. It's not, it's not snapping back and um, they're, they're not coming back when they get married and have kids not near as much as, as they used to as we used to see in the church and uh, I've been wondering ever since I did my master's degree I've been wondering if the way that we do youth ministry in the church is contributing to, peop- to, to kids leaving after they graduate um, so I, I did a lot of reading I did a lot of reading about Gen Z um, and, and started planning for the future of youth ministry here at Northwest for the next decade or so uh, asking what needs to change what uh, are we doing well what needs to, to change um, and and just kind of you know boiling it down quickly um, I I came to some, you know, some ideas that we need to keep working to build an environment that doesn't inherently lead lead kids to be disappointed with the church. Mm-hmm. I think that some of the best youth ministries build this amazing separate thing for students, and then students graduate high school and step into you know big church, and there's an I- initial sense of disappointment that this isn't what church was when I was in high school. And, and there's a kind of a mourning for the loss of the youth ministry community. And so how do we keep that community, but also help kids to understand that it, you know, that, that it's, as we grow up, it's a little different. Church experience is a little different. Um, our, our physical gathering is more important than I ever realized. Uh, that's one of the things throughout this last year, when we brought our youth ministry back, um, you know, we, we just, 
whatever we needed to submit to so we could be together, we did. If we need to wear masks, we will. If we, I mean, whatever it needs to be. If we need to shut it down for a couple weeks so we can come back later um, because physical gathering is just really, really important. Um, and, and honestly, really, the, most, the biggest thing for me is we need to provide more opportunities for meaningful connection with God and meaningful connection with one another. And so I'm looking into uh, how do we uh, inject more prayer uh, in, into our youth ministry, and we've, we've, we're looking into starting some small group environments and some additional uh, community together environments into our student ministry, because I, I just think that community piece is so important. Well, yeah, that leads right into, you know, when you're talking about lessons that we're learning uh, going through this pandemic, I think that's one of the top lessons that you and I talked about from 2020 to 2021 is the importance of community, the importance of your people, that you're traveling through life with. Uh, I think about in Acts 1, you know, Peter gets up and he preaches the very first sermon to the church. And it is is a hard sermon to listen to. uh, That that he essentially, the title of the sermon could be, You Killed Jesus. And everyone was kind of cut to the quick. You know, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized, all of that stuff. And then very quickly after that, we read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer, like you were talking about. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, they were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And and from that point on in Acts, you see that again and again, together, 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 together. And I'll tell you, every once in a while, you see a lot less of this now, but every once in a while, you'll see someone post like social media about how the pandemic is really not that big of a deal. And I personally think that's a mistake uh, to post stuff like that, to, to act like it's no big deal. But I will tell you, the loss of community over the course of this pandemic, it's also a big deal. And so I think one of the challenges of the last year and a half, the two years has been, how can we provide community and a people that you can travel through life with safely? Right. Because we need the community of believers. It's a community that you're comforted. I mean, you can comfort digitally, but we all know it's different to, to receive it face to face. In community, we're challenged and we need to be challenged. In community, we're encouraged. In community, we are helped. And... Um, we, we tried in 2020 to just say, everyone kind of go to your own corners. We're going to be separated from one another. We tried that. And what we realized is we need each other too much. Mm-hmm. And so even, if, even in our culture, you saw a shift happen this year of like, all right, we can't go back to lockdowns. So how can we do this safely? And I think that's really wise and really good because we need our people. Right. So. Yeah, well, because it's, it's almost impossible to do real community remotely for a long time. Right. I think that I think that for a time, as we were trying to figure things out, it made a lot of sense. But it's it's nearly impossible to have a meaningful community re- remotely. You saw it even with the stats, really. When we first went remote, I mean, we were getting a lot of views and a lot. Like, man, we haven't missed a step. And then over time, those engagements became less and right. less and less. Um, and so I. I appreciate the way we did it. Right. I, I would not have wanted it to go anymore. We were what, March to June? Yeah. That we were going remote. In 2020. In it, 2020 all, it all yeah, kind of yeah. bleeds together. I, yeah, I, yeah. You know. Whatever year that was. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, it, yeah, it it's was all just great. one long year. It was great to come back together. And I think we're pretty 
resolute to, to say, let's keep trying to figure out community. Right. Well, because it wasn't just youth ministry that showed how important community was to people. Every event that we did at Northwest after we came back together had like a banner attendance. Right. Like we went to Splash Cove and had a pool party and had like 17,000 people there. <laughs> and, and Setting up for Christmas this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, more I mean, people more than people ever. Than ever had before. Right. So, yeah, Halloween, yeah. you know, we had, right. we had more people volunteering, you know, and helping and engaged and here than we've ever had before. And so it was, it was easy to look around and see how hungry everyone is to connect again. Um, and, and so I think that's, you know, 2021 kind of taught us that, that, um, you know, cause my kids, you know, schools were still, the Decatur schools were still remote into like the, the, near the end of March into 2021. And so, you know, my kids were remote for almost an entire year, you know, spring break 2020 through 2021, you know, into March last year. And even when they just were able to go back initially for just like two days a week for a shortened schedule, I could immediately see the difference that it made in, in them um, and what a big deal and how important it was. And it reminded me of that, that passage in Hebrews 10, um, let us consider how to stir one another up, to, up toward love and good works, um, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That for a time, it, it might be the safe and wise thing to do to, to be apart, but eventually we, we need to stop neglecting the habit of being together. Yeah. Well, and as, as we've, you know, reintroduced community, we've coming out of all these lockdowns and, and stay-at-home stuff, we've noticed that there's kind of been a reset into what does it look like to love your neighbor. <laughs> Um, we forgot, I think, <laughs> when we were just at home and we were just with kind of our people, um, with, with our small, tight-knit family group, um, we kind of forgot what it looks like to love your neighbor and who is my neighbor, you know, and, and all, that, all the stuff that Jesus says. And so that's one of the big questions that I, personally, honestly, I've been struggling with this year related to gathering and community, whether it's my extended family, whether, whether it's just bringing in uh, family members into the picture who I didn't uh, quarantine with uh, or with my church family. The question is, what does it look like to love one another well? right now, um, in, in whatever, in this time in history with what's going on around us, what does it look like to love one another well? Because I think our culture has twisted love into something that means acceptance and agreement, that, that if you don't agree with me, it means you don't love me, that loving me means agreeing with me, accepting everything about me, whatever my opinions are, you just need to like fall in line with what I think like, and that's you're wrong. And the, right no that's not allowed you're yeah, yeah. right like you, like that's what it means to love but but there's lots of times and I think being a parent really drives this home for me there's lots of times where loving someone well means that I can't actually agree with something that they're saying I can't actually support an action that they're taking because it's wrong like not just because I think it's wrong but because like God says it's wrong or because it's harmful to them in the long run. Like I can see that it's hurting them, that they believe this or that they, they act this way or participate in whatever it is. And God still calls me to love them, even though I disagree with them. I, I, I adamantly disagree with them a lot of times, but I'm still called to love them. So I gotta figure that out, how to show them love, even in my disagreement or even in my disapproval, I have to figure out how to show love to them. Yeah. 
And I, I actually really think that's where love gets its legs, don't you? Like, it's easy. To, if you love those who love you, right. what reward will you get? I mean, if you love those who you agree with, it's when there's disagreement. And um, there, there's an old, old book about um, that the, the, a relationship always comes into a crisis when there's disagreement. And it's like, what are you going to do in that crisis? Right. And that's when love takes shape, I think. Right. Well, and yeah, Jesus boils down the entire Old Testament law to two commands, and one of them is love your neighbor as yourself. And so that means, biblically, love is more than a feeling. Feelings can't be commanded, right? Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's good, because we don't always, we don't always feel loving toward our neighbor. Um, and if we're honest, we don't always feel loving toward ourselves. I mean, sometimes... If love your neighbor as yourself is a feeling, I don't feel loving toward myself, and so that gives me an excuse to not treat my neighbor well, but, but that's not what it means. You know, if love means taking action in someone's best interest, it makes more sense. Because I always act in my best interest. I'm always taking action for what's best for me. Um, and so if loving my neighbor as myself means that, it means that I, I'm gonna take actions for them like I would do for myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take actions on their behalf the way I would take action on my behalf to advocate for myself. I'm gonna advocate for my neighbor that way. And, and it, well, in our current culture, we are seeing a lot of love of self declared. Right. Like love yourself, take care of yourself. Yes. And when I, when I see some of this stuff in um, commercials and all that, I'm like, let's not forget the other part of this. <laughs> right. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right. You know, yes, loving yourself is important. Right. But loving your neighbors too. Yeah, and I think it's turned into that. Like you have, yeah. you have to love yourself, and that means excluding your neighbor, ignoring your neighbor, yeah. because they're getting in the gotta way. Take care of me. Yeah, I got to take care of me. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's, I mean, that's one of the things I think in the last year that I've really learned again, or or been reminded of that that real love is expressed on their terms, not on my terms. And so, in order to do that, I have to actually know what would be loving to my neighbor. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I talk about this sometimes when I do pre-marriage counseling, the five love languages, um, right. gifts, touch, encouraging words, acts of service, and quality time. It's kind of, that's kind of a good start to just start your mind thinking about that other people might not receive love in exactly the same way that I do, and it's important that I express love the way that they will hear it. Um, and, and I think the, the love languages is kind of a good idea. Like, it's almost like a foreign language that I learn to speak for someone else. So when we take the time to learn someone else's language in order to speak love in a way that they will hear it clearly, we're expressing love the way Jesus does. Hmm. That's really good. When I think that leads us into a little bit of, you know, to talk about one of the lessons of 2021 is the anger and frustration that we're seeing. Um, within our culture that we have seen this uh, loss of civility, I guess you would call it, that um, my wife Cheryl saw somebody just dressed down in a Starbucks. I watched somebody get just totally dressed down in the happiest place on earth, Disney. Right? It's like you're, this guy just totally, totally lost his, his cool. We've seen it at the grocery store. And I think the reason for this loss of civility is a couple things. One is that we've been up here for far too long. We're living up here and it's not sustainable and it's not good. But the bigger reason I think why you're seeing this loss of civility is that we have bought into a lie that everything is political. And the fuel of politics is opposition. 
So politics thrive in opposition. The truth of the matter is not everything is political, everything is spiritual. And to what Scott has been saying, um, what drives spirituality is the two greatest commandments, love God and love people. And so everything is spiritual. And so when we're going through something, we ought to have those spiritual eyes to say, how can I love God better in this? How can I love people? How can I exhibit the two greatest commandments? And I think that's the, the third thing that I would say about why we're seeing this loss of civility is that news has become 100% immersive 24 hours a day. And I would encourage you to dial back from that as we're, as we're entering a new year. Don't let news be so immersive in your life. Allow the gospel to be immersive. Allow Jesus to be immersive. And allow that to get into your heart and your mind. And Colossians 3 will become real for us. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, man, bear with each other, and forgive one another. Uh, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Yeah, for all the talk in our culture about valuing diversity, we're trending more and more toward only accepting those who think and talk and act like us. We're, 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 we're narrowing our social media profiles and we're uh, you know, eliminating points of view that we don't like and that we don't agree with so that we only hear the echo chamber of our own opinions and our own thoughts. And I just don't really see how that's valuing diversity. Or good. Or, or good for us. Yeah. yeah. Right, because I'm, I mean, we're demonizing anyone who thinks differently than we do and we're all doing it. Um, I'm, I'm doing it too, you know, that, that, that they're the enemy, they're the opponent, and as Christians, I think we need to keep the perspective of, you know, Ephesians 6 in the, in the armor of God, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the enemy for us. Right, yeah, if you're looking at someone going, they're the enemy, they're not. They're not, they're not the enemy. Yeah. You know, that we, we have an enemy, and it's not other people, it's not people with other opinions, people that disagree with us, we have a spiritual enemy, um, and, and it, I think we would do well to focus on that, to focus our prayers and our, and our, and our action in that way. Um, and I think part of our, our problem on this that, that fuels all of this anger and all of our you know, righteous rage uh, is that we've come to a place where we refuse to consider any other points of view. Um, we, we, we won't see, we, we, we've lost our ability to have empathy and, and see something from, from a, another angle. We only see it the way we see it. We expect everyone else to see it that way. Um, I, I had a literature professor in college, you had the, the same professor, and he used to talk about paying attention to perspective. And so he would draw this uh, battle scene on, on the board and he would circle one of the soldiers down in the midst of the, of the fighting on the ground and he would ask us to describe what we thought that soldier might be experiencing uh, in, in this battle. Uh, and then he would draw uh, this, this hill kind of a ways away from where the battle was taking place and there, with a command post up on the top and he would circle one of the generals on the hill and he would ask us to describe uh, what the general might be experiencing from up on the hill and, and then compare the two experiences. Um, and it's two, they ended up being two very different descriptions of the same battle because it was two perspectives. One person saw it from where they were in the fighting 
Another person saw a, maybe a bigger picture from the, where they were on the top of the hill. Neither was wrong, uh, but, but neither was really a complete picture without the other. And so the more perspective we have, the better, but I feel like we're, mm. we're moving away from that where, where we only want one perspective and, and we want to drown out and cancel all the rest. But the more perspective we have, the better, the better the picture is. That's really good. I did well. Let's close on that. It was our no. literature professor. It wasn't me. Oh, we're not but. close. We got 15 minutes. We're, we're good. Yeah. Well, um, the, the next thing, it's good we have 15 minutes left because we got a, I got a lot to say on this next thing. But the, the next thing that we want to talk about that we've learned a lot about in the last year is actually something that's uh, we both kind of feel is positive um, coming out of 2021. And that's an increased attention to mental health. Um, we, we both think that that's a positive thing that we've started to pay attention to more in our culture as a result of the pandemic, as a result of forcing everyone to, to stay at home in quarantine. There were some, some side effects of that that, that started affecting uh, mental health. Um, I think the sustained anger and frustration in our culture that we've been talking about um, it has led us here also that you can't live uh, at a level 10 without it starting to affect your health, uh, sometimes physical health even, but certainly our mental health. Um, and there's multiple, there are multiple people in my immediate family, in my home, uh, who take medication for mental health issues. And so this is a close to home thing for me. Um, and so I've got some statistics I wanna share. Uh, these are according to Mental Health America. Um, in 2019, so just before the pandemic started, uh, about 20% of adults in the United States experienced a mental illness. That's about 50 million people. Um, and so this is not just a few, there's a lot of people. 15% uh, of teenagers, uh, 12 to 17 year olds, uh, experienced a major depressive episode just in the last year. 11% um, have ongoing severe major depression, um, teenagers. Uh, in the past two years during the pandemic, uh, major depressive disorders have increased 28% globally across the world. So in two years, uh, our mental illness uh, issues, our, 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 our you know, crisis uh, has exploded. Uh, anxiety disorders rose 26%. Uh, so that means 53 million people developed depression in the last two years. Um, that, that they need to be treated for. Uh, nearly 76 million people developed an anxiety disorder during the pandemic that needed treatment. Um, these are huge numbers. Now that's across the whole world, uh, but still these are really big, big numbers. Um, more than half of the people with mental health, health issues didn't receive any sort of treatment at all in the last year. Um, and, and so that's maybe one of the biggest issues that we're facing is uh, normalizing treatment for mental health issues, counseling and therapy for mental health issues, um, and, and taking away the stigma of that. Um, on average, people wait 11 years between the onset of mental health symptoms and seeking treatment for them, and that is far too long to wait. I mean, if, you, if, if my body was, was sick, 
Um, and I waited 11 years to, I mean, that, I, I would end up in a much worse off place than if I sought treatment earlier. Um, and so I think it's important that we're starting to pay attention uh, to, to mental health issues. This isn't, these aren't you know, new things that just came with the pandemic, but the pandemic really emphasized these things, made it a lot worse, but along with it, uh, kind of shined a spotlight on it and, and hopefully uh, starting to normalize it for people enough that, that they can start to, to seek treatment because overall the suicide rate just in our country has increased 35% since I graduated high school in 1999. So in 22 years, our suicide rate has increased by 35%. That's a big, big deal. And I, yeah, we do. We try to say this a couple times a year, but our church, we really do want to help you with this, if, especially if the financials are kind of overwhelming to you. You're like, man, I really feel like I need some help, but I don't know how I would pay for it. Our church will help you pay for it. Uh, um, and we've, we've been saying that for 15 years, and there's a lot of people that have taken us up on that, that we just, we want to make sure you get the help that you need if you're in a mental health crisis, that to, because we do, we do need the treatments and uh, the counseling and, and the help. And so we'll, we'll help right. you pay for that if, it, if you need it. Right. Well, in mental health, or, or I'm sorry, mental illness is illness. It's not weakness. And I think that the church, uh, not, not this church necessarily, I'm talking about like the church worldwide throughout history, I think the church hasn't done a great job um, jumping on to, to, to this idea that, that mental illness is illness. It's not something that's just like, well, think, think more positively or just have more faith. I've heard that one. Something to be ashamed yeah. of. Or, right, or something like to be ashamed you of. Or, you wouldn't be ashamed if your body right. needed help. Well, yeah, yeah. like when yeah. somebody came yeah. to Jesus and like, who yeah. sinned, this guy yeah. or his parents? Yeah. And Jesus is like, well, no, no, that's not what this is about. Right. You know, this, this just happened. It wasn't a result of sin in a person's life. And so stop beating up people that have, have a, a mental health issue or a mental illness, like they don't have enough faith. That's not what's going on. But... Faith, the, the spiritual element of a person's life, is part of uh, their, their mental health component. Um, uh, you know, we talk about holistic approaches all the time to, to, to health, physical health and mental health, and a holistic approach uh, includes our spiritual lives because God created us to be whole people. Uh, I think the, 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 the Greek culture did us a little bit of a disservice by uh, teaching the, the separation of like the physical and the mental as like we're, they're two different things. The Hebrew view of, of what a person is is much closer, I think, to uh, the biblical view that, uh, that, that your, your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, you're one. You are one. Uh, and all of those things are interconnected. Shalom. Shalom, yeah, yeah. That, that being at peace uh, with, in all parts of you, right. um, that, 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 you know, your, and so your spiritual life is a part of it. Um, you can't treat mental illness without considering uh, what's going on in your spiritual life. And so I think that's one of the things I've been, th I've been thinking a lot about this year. Um, you know, we understand the idea of, of rest uh, for our bodies and exercise and proper nutrition and going to the doctor for medicine when we're sick, but we often don't take the same care of our mind and, and rarely take the same care of our soul, um, of, of, of our spiritual self. We're quick to care for our bodies and do things like exercise and eat right, but we're much slower to care uh, for the, the other parts of who we are. 
Um, and, and I think that it's just as important um, because of the way God made us. It's just as important to, to care for our bodies. Yeah, let's do, um, we'll do a couple kind of, uh, as rapid as we go. I mean, a couple <laughs> kind of ra- rapid hits here as we, we wanted to hit on just a couple of things as we move toward a conclusion kind of quickly. So I, I'm gonna take, you know, how do you operate in a culture that has lost uh, its sense of truth? Because that's the number one thing probably I heard in 2021 is I don't know what to believe. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what is true. And what I would say to you on that is that some things are unknowable. I think the pandemic has taught us that. Uh, there, there are some things that are unknowable. There are some things that are. And in John 8, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And a lot of times we think that's a what. So, so what is true? No, Jesus wasn't talking about a what. He was talking about a who. You will know the truth. You will know me, Jesus is saying, and that will set you free. So some things are knowable. Jesus is knowable. Focus on your relationship with him. Right. Yeah, that's one of the more difficult things from the last year for me is that erosion of trust uh, in, in our experts and in those who are in authority because I think trust and truth go hand in hand. And so if I, can't, if I don't trust you, then it's hard for me to believe what you're saying to me. And I think it's been very difficult for us, especially in the last two years, to know uh, where to place our trust um, and, and who to trust in for truth. Um, you know, when all the details that are reported about a story turn out to be wrong in the long run, I feel lied to. And it's hard for me to trust that source of information again, whether it's a media outlet or a friend on social media. I, I, when I feel lied to, it's hard for me to, to put trust in again. And, and I think in our race for, for constant, instant information, uh, we're, we're starting to sacrifice the search for what's actually true and settling for this sensationalism of, can you believe this or can, you know, did you hear about that? Um, but the last year, really the entire pandemic has kind of left me grasping for a, a trustworthy source of information. And, you know, I can't help like I'm being, feel like I'm being manipulated and I'm being lied to. And I, I've realized, been reminded that really there's only one place that, that where truth flows that I can trust always. Um, and, and as a Christian, I know that that's, that's God and, and God expressed in, in his word that he's, yeah. uh, he's given to us. And so uh, if I really am looking for who to trust and, and where to look for truth, I know where to look. I've just kind of forgotten because I'm bombarded with so much information so often. I, I sometimes forget that, wait a minute, I know where truth is. I need to get back to it. I, yeah. need, I need to anchor there again. And I, I think that kind of leads into uh, the last couple things we want to talk about. What do we do when things are out of our control? There's so many things that are, are out of our control. Um, you know, I think we've always kind of known that, but we pretend like we're in control. And then a pandemic hits and we're like, oh, I can't pretend anymore yeah. <laughs> that I'm no, in control true. of that's, anything. That's true. Yeah. And uh and so we're going to wrap up by, by talking about a couple of things like that that are out of our control. One of the things I think that feels out of our control is our safety uh, and our security. Um, we probably all know people who were very, very careful and still got sick last year. We probably also both know people who weren't very careful at all and didn't get sick. Um, and it doesn't make any sense. No. Um, we, we've read about school shootings. Uh, the, the recent one near Detroit was very close to where I grew up. Um, I, I have, you know, my cousins 
know people in that school, um, and and you, that feels completely out of control. Uh, there, there was, you know, recently, I mean, if you're a parent, it, it, you know, you know this, that, that recently there was this TikTok threat that, you know, I got a call from my, my kid's school that, you know, that, that going around TikTok, there was this video that, that was talking about how, you know, schools were going to get shot up on this specific day. And they wanted to let parents know that, you know, as far as they could tell, everything was safe, but, you know, we wanted to give you the information. And so I had to sit down with my kids and say, okay, well, here's the deal what do you think? Like, do you want to go to school? Do you feel safe being there? Like, we, these are conversations we have regularly, and it just feels like safety and security are totally out of our control. And, uh, and I think one of the questions we have to start asking ourselves is, wh- when is risk worth it? Mm-hmm. Because really everything we do is risky. I mean, everything we do has risk connected to it. Even if I'm just staying at home all by myself, uh, you know, quarantining from the rest of the world, I, I may potentially be risking my mental health. And so every decision we make potentially carries some sort of risk. And I think we just need to be aware of it. Yeah, because I, I think in early on in this that there was a feeling of, okay, we'll go into isolation. We'll kind of separate from everyone we know because there was a belief early on that at some point this would be pronounced over. Right. That at some point, you, we watch in CNN, like, the pandemic's over, right. you know? Right. And uh, I think if the last couple of years, like, I'm not sure that's really coming. Right. And, and so you, you have to learn to manage like, what, what you're gonna do about your safety. And, and you, know, you, don't, you wanna be wise, not reckless, right. but you also wanna stay with your people. Right. Well, and, and it, I mean, no one can guarantee your safety and security except God. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things in Should the last year. Should be our year. number one priority? Well, right. right. Well, and yeah. that's the yeah. thing. God doesn't promise us safety and security yeah. anywhere. I mean, he could guarantee your safety and security, but he, he doesn't promise that he will. It, it reminds me of when uh, the kids in the Chronicles of Narnia, they're asking about Aslan, the great lion, and Susan asks if he's quite safe. Uh, and I think it's Mr. Beaver that right. says, you know, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. You know, he's this huge lion, but he's good. Right. And, and you can trust that he's good. And, and I think we, we lose a little bit of that, that, that even God isn't safe because God is going to call you to do things that you feel are risky. Well, yeah, we, we often think of Jesus's sermons as love your neighbor, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he talked about those things, but we kind of gloss over the sermon where he's like, so you'll be dragged out of the temple court. <laughs> right. You'll be beaten executed and, and right. you know, done away with. And I was like, hey, wait, what, wait, what? Right. <laughs> I, uh, right. Could we go back over wait, that material, Jesus? Jesus? That's not safe. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, I, you know I, 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 sure, I think I misheard you, Jesus, you know? And, yeah. you know, so yeah, he never promises that. Yeah, well, that's one, of, I think one of the questions I've landed on to help, help me make decisions in a global pandemic <laughs> is, is it worth it? Um, and I can't answer that question for you. Right, exactly. I, I can only answer that question for me. Uh, is it worth it? Um, is it worth it to go on vacation? Uh, I, I want to go have you know, Christmas with extended family. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to travel? I want to atten- attend a Bible study in person again. Is it worth it uh, to be around people? And, and nobody else can answer that question for you. Other people will try, but no one can answer that question for you. You have to decide, is it worth it? You have to decide when things are worth the risk. Mm, that's really good. And um, we'll move on uh, from that because that's a really good way to end that conversation with uh, another thing that's kind of out of our control is uh, government overreach. Let's talk about what? that. What? That never happened. <laughs> you know, because a, a lot of people have expressed a lot of concern 
um, over um, what is perceived as kind of government overreach when, when it's coming to this, uh, the way they've managed this pandemic. And let me start out by assuring you, if you feel that the government has overreached, you are not the first Christians in the history of the world to have lived under government overreach. Um, you are not the first followers of God to have lived under government overreach. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, um, God's people were conquered, taken into slavery, and uh, moved to another country. It kind of makes a pandemic vaccine requirement seem like less, right? <laughs> you know, when, when you consider what those followers of God did. And so they were living under this kind of government overreach. And like, how do we, how do we live now in Babylon? How do we live here? We've been seized from our homes. We've been moved to, to another country. How on earth do we live with this overreach? And this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. So at the end of the day, they said, what do we do? The government's overreaching. The government's ruining our lives. What do we do? You do, you do what you're called to do. Marry, have children, live your life, work hard, do the things that you can con control. Because, spoiler alert, you can't control anything the federal government does. <laughs> uh, the pandemic has taught us that. You can't control them. You can love your family well. Mm. You can go to work tomorrow and work hard. You can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can love your neighbor as yourself. And just move away from this, I can't believe the government, to how can I live out the two greatest commandments today? Hmm. That's really good. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too political up on stage. Um, we try not to we do that. We are being recorded, just FYI. I know, <laughs> or, yeah, or, or out on YouTube. Um, you have your cell phone on you? We're being recorded. <laughs> I'll just, just say this. Uh, 2021 has shown me that I tend to be a libertarian in my thinking. I'm pretty pragmatic when it comes to politics, and I mainly just want things to work well, um, which is hilarious, you know, the government making things that work well, because I generally think most of the things uh, that, that the government does don't end up working well. Um, I've talked about my experience with the foster care system this last year, so a lot of what I'm saying is through that lens, um, and uh, that hasn't worked super well. Um, I'd, rather the, I'd rather the government just leave me alone. <laughs> Let me live my life, stay out of it. However, I also know what the Bible teaches about government. I also know that Jesus doesn't give me permission to just ignore authority and do what I want and live the way I want to live. Um, and so I have to reconcile those two feelings. I have to reconcile the feeling that I want the government to stay out of my business with the word that I have from Jesus about obedience to authority when it's not in conflict with God's will. So when the authority is asking me to do something that is not in conflict with what God expresses, I mean, I guess I'm free to feel how I feel, but ultimately God asks me to submit to that authority and, tr and, and trust God. And, and I think and, that's important. That God, well, God doesn't and, say trust yeah. the leaders right. and do whatever they say, but trust me that I've yeah. got things in control well, even when you don't. And those passages of scripture were written in what I believe was the most evil leader, right. potentially outside of Hitler, right. the most evil leader in the history of the world. Right. 
So, I mean, that, that is what was written. Submit to your authorities. Right. So. And that's incredibly difficult for us. Um, in general, I, just to be perfectly honest, that's very difficult for me uh, personally. Um, submitting to authority has always been a little bit of a thing for me. Um, and, and, but God calls me to, to, to do that. And, and that advice really rings true of stop thinking nationally mm-hmm. about governmental response and start thinking locally. Right. You know, like the, the passage in Jeremiah 29 teaches. Right. Well, here's where, let's land here. Uh, the, kind of the last thing that f- you know, flows a little bit out of the government conversation uh, is when, uh, when your money feels out of your control. Uh, the economy is inflation. getting away from you, and if inflation. Uh, you know, we hear all, all, all you know all the talk about inflation. Um, my, you know, I'm in control about how I spend my money. I, I'm responsible for the decisions I make, what to buy, what not to buy. But I don't control what things cost. I don't control the cost of milk or gas or rent. Uh, and it seems like everything costs more than it did uh, a year ago, five years ago. And the thing is, inflation is out of our control. We don't control the cost of things. Uh, businesses or restaurants that we love are closing. That's out of our control. We don't control whether your, our favorite restaurant is able to stay open. I mean, we, a little we can. You know, we can give them business, I guess. But, but I don't think my business is enough to keep a restaurant open. And most of the time, the amount we get paid for our work is out of our control, too. So we can't really give ourselves a raise. We can't reduce the cost of the things that we need to live, and we start getting anxious about how we're gonna make ends meet, what are we gonna do about this money? Um, and I think, is it worth it, is somewhat helpful here too, um, but applied in a, just in a different way. The, when I spend money, is it worth it? Um, is it worth it to, to buy this thing? As, as prices rise, you know, is it worth it at the grocery store um, to, to, to add this to my cart? Is it worth it on Amazon? Do I need this thing? Um, because I think that responsible spending is, is something we can control uh, in, in the midst of inflation. And so I think we can grab onto that a little bit in, in, instead of uh, you know, spinning out about what we can't control. I think we can control the way we spend money a little bit. Um, but ultimately, we have to rely on God to supply our needs, uh, which is something that he promises to do many, many times in the Bible, um, that, that he will supply our needs. Um, and, and, you know, all the time spent in anxiety and worry about our needs um, ends up being a waste of our time because God has it under control. Yeah, and I think that's really good advice about this might be a good season to consider um, checking out a financial health resource like Dave Ramsey or whatever, whatever the case may be and, and starting to get kind of your financial house in order, um, you know, get out of debt or, or pay down some uh, bills and, and it might be a good season to do that because that is something you can control. It is. I remember uh, it was right before the pandemic, like a week before it was you know, it was in the news, but it hadn't really gone crazy yet. I was uh, at a preaching conference, and there was a guy got up, the guy got up and, uh, to the, all these preachers, and he said, man, I'm telling you, this pandemic is, is going to hit, and you're, you're going to wish your church had some savings right then. And I was like, this guy's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. This, thing, <laughs> this thing's going away in three weeks or whatever. And I'll never forget, Cheryl and the kids uh, had traveled with me, and we went to the Indianapolis Children's Museum, and there was hardly another soul there. And I remember, I got to turn on the new, what, like I'm missing something, <laughs> you know, and I, and I was, and he was right, you know, um, churches that 
uh, you know, our, our church ended up being really blessed through that season. But, you know, I remember in the early days, I do wish we'd had a little more, you know, t- tucked away for an emergency. Right. And so I think it is a good time for people to evaluate their personal finances and maybe spend this year getting those in order. Yeah. Well, and I think ultimately the bottom line with this stuff that's out of our control is when something's out of your control, knowing that it's not out of God's control. Right. And learning yeah. to depend on God is really the best thing that I can do. Yeah. Like understanding that this is out of my control, but God is in control. Mm-hmm. And I, he's trustworthy. Right. The things he says are true. And so what can I do to depend on him? That's exactly right. That we want to, as we're entering this new year, let's just, uh, like the scripture says, keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so... Um, we're going we're gonna to spend some time doing that right now at the start of the year through communion. Uh, we're going to receive some communion and just uh, laser focus our eyes on Jesus and receive his joy, hope, and peace because that, that's what he offers us. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll pass out the emblems, and you can just kind of hold on to those, uh, and I'll come back up here in just a minute, and we'll receive it all together as a church family. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. It's been a anxious couple years, Um, but we know joy, hope, and peace comes from you. We know that there are things that are unknowable. You are not one of them. We can know you, um, and we're grateful for that through the work of Jesus. And so right now, we want to let all the anxieties go that that we might have for this upcoming year. We want to let them go. We want to just focus on you and your grace and your son's death, burial, and resurrection for us. It is in his name that we pray, amen. His body given for you, his blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. As we get ready to leave this place and enter into a new year, may we love like you, uh, be like you, treat other people the way that you treated them. And may we uh, be that uh, light on the hill where people can see you in us. We thank you again for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. It's in his name we pray, amen. You can stand up. We're gonna close with one last song of worship. I uh, wanna invite you to, to come back next Sunday. We're gonna be starting uh, the next chapters of Genesis. We're gonna be studying the life of Jacob. Um, like Scott said in the intro, a very unlikable person <laughs> um, that J- Jacob is, but we're gonna see how God uh, continued to come for him and shape him and make him new and make him different. Uh, how how God worked in his situation. So uh, I'm really looking forward to these uh, next 10 weeks or so as we study his life. So uh, God bless you guys. Happy New Year again. Uh, Let's close with one last song.